welcome to the GDPR Stand Up Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping you succeed with GDPR compliance. Your host is Rocio Beza. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome. I'm Rocio Baeza, the host of the GDPR Stand Up Podcast. If you are a regular listener or a new listener, a welcome to our show. So today we actually have a very special treat. We are having our first guest on the podcast. So up until now, the episodes have been just me speaking, and today we're going to be changing things up. I live and breathe data privacy. I love talking about the topic, but I am not the only one that is doing work around this. And as much as I like to think that I'm knowledgeable in GDPR, I don't know at all. And our guest today, so her name is Amy Topper. She is my attorney, and I'm excited to have a conversation with Amy to learn more about her, about GDPR, and, and just so, so that we can have a, a more well-rounded understanding of GDPR. So with that, Amy, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. And Amy, so as I was pronouncing your last name, can you correct me if I got it wrong? Is it Amy Tepper? You know, actually, it's Amy Tepper, Tepper like pepper. So Pepper but. like pepper. Okay. <laughs> cool. I like that. All right, Amy, just for the benefit of our listeners. So I've known Amy for the last year or so, and she was with me there as I was launching my consulting practice. She is someone that I enjoy working with. And uh, Amy, why don't you go ahead and just share a little bit about who you are and your business? Absolutely. Thanks very much. So I um, am a practicing attorney in the area of business law. I have been for about the past 17 years. And I started my own practice about five years ago. I am native to Chicago and went to school here and have stayed here and live out in the suburbs now. And when I started my own law practice, I ran into small business owners who would very often say, you know, I don't have an attorney because I can't afford one. And I thought that there had to be a way to maybe solve that problem because for small business owners, a lot of those questions that they weren't able to ask went unanswered and sometimes turned into bigger problems. Mm-hmm. So I came up with this concept of legal in a box and um, founded it now about three years ago. And we provide a sort of affordable legal services uh, contained, transparent on a membership platform for those small businesses who want to protect what it is that they've built. So we are in uh, Chicago, Austin, New York, and the UK as well. That's awesome. Cool. And uh, no, and Amy, so I first heard of, about you and Legal in the Box at a mastermind, the Miss Tech group over there at 1871. And when I first heard about it, I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's awesome. Just as a small, so at the time, I hadn't ventured off on my own, (laughs) but I realized that that when I I decided to take the plunge, I knew that I want to protect what I wanted to build. And I was very concerned with just the cost that would go into bringing on a qualified attorney. Just want to thank you for making that service available to those that need legal counsel, but may not have the budget that a larger organization may have. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to, I started the company really with the objective that 
every business owner, regardless of their size, should be able to say, let me speak to my attorney. And that was important and it should be available to everyone. We focus exclusively on small business law. So that's all that we do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have attorneys that um, are experienced and experts and that's our only focus. And so we're happy to, we're happy to provide that. And I'll tell you, I love working with small business owners. They're absolutely my favorite client. Awesome. Awesome. No, and I feel like your position there, it really resonates with um, some of the motivations behind why I'm doing the, the type of work that I'm doing. So I've, I've been in the data security, data privacy space for uh, just under a decade. And I have seen how, like, this is an area that many organizations need to be investing in. Mm-hmm. But because of the talent shortage, or just because of the complexity that comes with just securing the information and the assets that organizations are holding, like that's a challenge. And I love that you see a similar trend there for small business owners mm-hmm. and that you're ma- making the offering available so that uh, they too have access to quality services. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. So, cool. So I think that's a great segue into today's conversation. So GDPR is a regulation. Um, so I'm not an attorney, but, but, but I think it's fair to, to say, Amy, that, that GDPR is a law, right? Uh, that's right. It, uh, the GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation, and it is a regulation in the EU law regarding data protection and privacy mm-hmm. for individuals, individual citizens of the European Union. So that's sort of a, a very broad overview. But yes, it is a not a U.S.-based law, but a law from the, uh, the EU. Got it. Okay. And, and so when I think of something like GDPR, so, so because this is a law, I think from the perspective of, of the organization, it means that it introduces legal risk to an organization. So I think that it would be worth having a, a conversation and getting your perspective, the, the perspective of an attorney on, on, on what that actually means. Sure. So, and I guess um, it would be helpful for me to share that the majority of our listeners, I would say they're based in the U.S. They are supporting a U.S.-based company and they may have an international reach. So given the technology that we have today, that probably means that they may or may not have a physical presence, a physical location in the EU, but they definitely have an online presence and it, it may actually reach those that are in the EU. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. And, and that's really, that's kind of where uh, the, you know, some of the struggles occur because it's an EU regulation. How, if so, and to what extent does it affect our companies here in the U.S. who have either operations overseas in the EU, who don't have operations over there, but may purposely market to and collect private information on EU citizens. And then number three, those who don't have a presence in the EU and sort of inadvertently collect uh, that information. And so the, the third category is really probably the, the grayest category. But I'll, I'll tell you, it's a very hot topic. It's a hot area of law. I get probably on a weekly basis requests for privacy policies and terms and conditions Mm -hmm. for folks' websites. Every company who has a website has to have a a TNC and privacy policy put in place 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, in there, we need to make sure that we have, you know, all the necessary language, you know, to protect the information, the private, the privacy information, the personal information of those folks visiting your website and, and how to do it appropriately. Right, right. No, and, and it doesn't surprise me. I mean, so GDPR, it went to effect last year around this time. And what I think, Amy, is like GDPR is, is not going to go away anytime soon. And I think we've already have started to see the trickle down effects uh, hitting the U.S. with things like the passing of the California Consumer Privacy Act. So, yeah, so it, it, I will expect that we will be continuing to talk about GDPR in the many years to come. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely do, especially as we move more and more away from, uh, or, you know, not necessarily move away, but add to brick and mortar businesses, but, you know, having a virtual online presence and collecting mm-hmm. that information. And, you know, I, I, if, I ha- if, if I were to have any tip, right, really right off the bat is mm-hmm. for anyone listening who wants to create or modify their own terms and conditions by simply cutting and pasting what they find on someone else's website, you know, while it seems like something that's kind of buried in your website that meet, maybe people don't read, it's an important legal document that should be reviewed by an attorney, created by an attorney, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's, it's, part, it's a legal document on your website. And so you have to be very careful about, you know, creating one on your own or doing any kind of cut and paste job. Yes, yes. No, and I've, I've definitely seen my share of that, Amy. And um, yeah, th- like we can... Like there's so many th- things that I would love to say about that topic, and I'm very glad that you're bringing that up because I think that as professionals, like it, it may not be obvious that a privacy policy is a legal document, mm-hmm. and that there's importance in in making sure that the contents of of the document um, have been thought through, are accurate, and are a good representation of how companies are handling uh, personal information. Yes. Yeah. And that is going to be, that's not only important from a legal perspective and, you know, this includes how you collect information from whom you're collecting it. What kind of personal identifying information are you collecting? If you're dealing with kids that are coming to the website who might be under the age of 13, Mm -hmm. all very, very important rules that, you know, seem like they shouldn't be a big deal because who reads the privacy policies anyway, but it, it's a it's a legal document, and also too going forward, as you say, the GDPR and its implications here in the U.S. are just going to continue to grow. And so I think from a, even from a marketing perspective, interfacing with your customers or clients and letting them know the information you're giving us, we're protecting. Uh, that's uh, uh, you know as important as anything. Got it. Got it. No, and and I think that's a good segue to the topic uh, for today's episode. Amy, so I would love to hear your perspective on the legal risk that comes with GDPR. So in other words, can you talk through what are the legal risks that a company is exposed to by choosing not to comply with GDPR or maybe failing to fully implement the requirements? You know, there are a a number of penalties and fines that are associated with the regulation and new enforcement procedures and those fines associated with GDPR compliance are probably the aspects which have most U.S. companies, you know, sitting up and playing, paying close attention to. There's mm-hmm. hefty penalties that are associated with the noncompliance that could very easily 
reach into the millions of dollars, depending on the level of information you're collecting and you know your lack of compliance with GDPR. And so companies that that don't comply, you know, will get penalized, and it's it typically will fall into one of two categories. And the higher of these could cost anywhere from four percent of the company's annual turnover up to you know twenty million dollars. I would say probably analogize it to the importance of SOCs, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act here mm-hmm. in the United States. Uh, that was a U.S.-based law, but it required extensive compliance to make sure that companies were operating ethically without conflict of interest. And so this, this, is, this is, I would say, of the same, the same caliber when it comes to compliance or failure to compliance, a failure to comply when it comes to the penalties the fines, and then also, you know, reputational damage. You have to keep in mind that, you know, as I was saying, it, you know, the privacy policy in your TNC are legal documents, but they're also assurances to your customers and clients that you're holding their data and you're holding it in a safe method. And so it's very possible that, you know, some of your competitors preparing for GDPR compliance will use that as a competitive advantage to position themselves ahead in the marketplace as someone who cares more about your, um, your, your private information. And so I really see that in, especially with the tech clients that I have, a trend going towards not capturing people's data, or if they are capturing people's data, automatically dumping it. And, you know, Rocia, you probably know the, the, web, you know, the web browser, or not browser, but search engine DuckDuckGo, I mm-hmm. believe is one of them now. Yes. That is, you know, dumping information. I'm working with a client who has a startup app that likewise will be automatically, their default will be dumping personal information. So I, I, people, are, people are beginning to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And to stay ahead of the curve and be ahead of your competitors, I think not, adds to the, the benefit of compliance. Got it. Okay. So, so as, as, as I'm hearing you outline the implications that noncompliance means, or, or you, you mentioned penalties, you mentioned fines, you mentioned enforcement procedures, and then you also mentioned uh, reputational damage. So for any of these three things, uh, what comes to, to mind is just resources. It sounds like there's going to be a need to invest a significant amount of resources to address any issues of non-compliance. So when I think of a penalty or a fine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the way that that it works is a company gets flagged for being quote-unquote non-compliant and then a fine or a penalty is issued. I think that there would be some type of process that would be carried out and that this, this process will probably involve a number of different parties. It will require that uh, the organization provide information mm-hmm. and respond to information requests. And to me, it just sounds like a big time sink where time, energy, and budget is going to be, have to be allocated to addressing an investigation or an inquiry and this is pres- these are precious resources that, that will probably be better suited in other areas to grow the company as opposed to trying to explain why they weren't doing what, what they were supposed to be doing, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's certainly not going to be something automatic and it's, you know, first companies that are going to be penalized for noncompliance will probably, you know, receive significant attention when that starts happening. That being said, there will be a process of investigation and, you know, document reviews and document requests and responding. And I say this to all my clients, regardless of the area of law that applies, this certainly the GDPR compliance is no exception. It always, always takes longer and costs more money to fix things later on down the line than just investing a little bit of time and money at the outset. So the fact that, you know, if people, to the extent that companies can get these in place sooner rather than later, it will save headache later on down the line. Right, right, right. No, and I, I definitely agree with that. And it's something that I, I, I've seen just in the work that I've done. So when, when I work with clients, the, the approach that I like to take is let's build something lean that addresses what, what, whatever the requirements are. And as the company is growing or maturing, by having this solid foundation that addresses the quote unquote, the requirements, as a company grows, scales, as a, as a technology ecosystem evolves, the, the data privacy and the data security program is evolving with it, Yes. Uh, as opposed to having to almost kind of retrofit something that doesn't really work because there's no foundation there. So yes, I definitely agree that, that some investment upfront, it would be best suited for an organization to, to, to take the approach of a smaller investment upfront for peace of mind down the road. That's, uh, that's actually excellent advice. And I, I like how you said, let's build something lean. You know, I don't think anyone needs to set aside a half a million dollars in their budget in order to get compliant. And, and when I say that, I, I mean sort of mid-level, mid-marketing size companies, you know, but for the small to medium size, I, I think you're exactly right. Let's build something lean that we can at least have some kind of framework, structure, scaffolding in place so that we're taking steps in the right direction and that we can add to, modify, or revise as we get to have more information on it. Because right now, uh, you know, we don't have any guidance. We don't have any case law or regulatory agency instructing us what to do based on someone else's mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's everybody's first time. Right, right, right. One resource that has been uh, very helpful to me is uh, just the guidance that the ICO has been publishing. So, so they've been publishing guidance and just calls for input over the last year and a half. And uh, yeah, like, I feel like it, it's a matter of time. So it will take time for us to con- uh, continue to unravel and uh, understand, all right, how do the requirements apply to different situations? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to see how that unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it's, it's not going to be an easy task. And it depends on what kind of data that you're collecting mm-hmm. and the age of people and, and how you're containing it. But as we've seen with any large company in the news that has had a significant data breach, that is at a, at a minimum a huge dollar impact for any of those people. Blue, you know, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Target, um, those are just two that I can think of off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that can be super problematic. So getting some things in place to protect you at the outset is, is so smart. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. 
Amy, so just as we wind things down, are there any final tips or su su suggestions that, that you want to voice about the topic? Yeah, I think if anything, and, and for those that are sort of tuning in for the first time to listen about GDPR and what that includes, and this is the first time maybe you've heard the acronym or you've come across it but haven't done anything to take steps, the fact that it is at least on your radar is important and to put it in a to-do list if it hasn't already been done to start taking steps to get in compliance because it, it will become an issue. Okay, got it. Amy, it has been a pleasure to have you on. Is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners? And if you can include, uh, what would be the best way that someone can get in touch with you if they have additional questions? Absolutely. Please feel free to reach out to me. I am on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram, pretty much all at Legal in a Box. My email address is amy at Legal in a Box. You can find us online at legalinabox.com and uh, reach out to us through a contact page there. So um, any of those ways, and I, I will be happy to answer additional questions you have about GDPR or, or anything else. Awesome. Great. Well, Amy, it's been great having you on today's episode and looking forward to having you again soon. Very good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, then. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the GDPR Stand-Up Podcast. If you need additional help, please check us out at gdprstandup.com. Until next time.